text from John 19 that we are going to be meditating on shows us these final hours of our Savior's passion. Since this is a record of our Savior's works and words, I would ask that you please stand out of respect for it. We read, Carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with him two others, one on each side and Jesus in the middle. Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this sign, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. The chief priests of the Jews protested to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews, but that this man claimed to be king of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares, one for each of them, with the undergarment remaining. This garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot who will get it. This happened that the scripture might be fulfilled that said, They divided my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. So this is what the soldiers did. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, Woman, here is your son, and to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. Later, knowing that everything had now been finished, and so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. This is the gospel of our Lord. You may be seated. Back when I was uh, a pastor in Nebraska, I had a newer member join the church. Uh, his name was Tim. And Tim simply could not understand why we celebrated Good Friday why we even called it Good Friday at all. He was a little bit scandalized by the whole thing because when he read through the account of Jesus' last day, he saw a lot of evil in those verses. He saw just so much bad and most of it inflicted upon Jesus himself. And so it just didn't make a whole lot of sense to him. Good Friday. And maybe after reading through those verses from John 19, you might think, well, maybe, maybe Tim has a little bit of a point. Because it's cruel, it's nasty, it's downright violent and bloodthirsty. And that's just what we found in those verses that we read today. Really, Good Friday happened well before this. In fact, it began at sundown the previous evening, according to the Jewish reckoning of things. And when you read through those verses, it reads almost just like a record of evil. 
On Good Friday, Jesus is betrayed by one of his closest friends, and he's denied by another. On Good Friday, we see the envy and the corruption of those chief priests and other rulers of the people. To such a degree that they were willing to have Jesus illegally arrested, brought before an illegal court that took place in the middle of the night. There they hired liars to lie about Jesus. They accused the Son of God of blasphemy against God. Then they beat him, spit on him, and mocked him. On Good Friday, we see Jesus then handed over to another unjust judge named Pontius Pilate. Pontius Pilate, who was far more concerned with his own tenuous grasp on earthly power than he was about justice, which is why Pilate, first of all, had Jesus mocked and, excuse me, had him flogged and beaten before his trial was even over. It's why Pontius Pilate had a well-known, guilty, violent criminal named Barabbas released instead of Jesus, whom he very openly proclaimed was innocent. And it's why Pilate ultimately also caved in to the pressures of those leaders so that they wouldn't stir up trouble for him by condemning this innocent Jesus to die as one of the guilty. On Good Friday, Jesus is then handed over to Roman soldiers who seem to take it upon themselves to go above and beyond in their cruel treatment of Jesus. They twist together a crown of thorns and give him a purple robe to mock his claims of being a king. They give him further beatings and then they nail him to a cross, again knowing that he is innocent, and hang him high up in the air outside of Jerusalem. And then, oh yeah, they stole all of his clothes all the way down to his underwear. On Good Friday, we see a group of people gather around Jesus, a few of which are his friends and followers, the majority of which are there for the spectacle. And instead of worshiping the one hanging on the cross as God, for God he was and God he is, they instead offered their own mockery, jeering at him and lobbing their own insults at him. And that's just what we find in John. If you were to look at the other three Gospels who record this Good Friday story as well, they would include a few other details that John did not mention. On Good Friday, Jesus is abandoned by all of his disciples, in fact, who tucked tail and ran when he was arrested, leaving Jesus to suffer and die all alone. On Good Friday, we read about a suicide that may have been curbed if only the so-called shepherds of the people had enough compassion in them to comfort a man who was despairing of his own life. On Good Friday, we see Jesus handed over to another unjust ruler named King Herod, who also knew Jesus was plenty innocent enough and yet also refused to let him go. On Good Friday, we see a man named Simon of Cyrene drawn at random from a crowd and compelled by forced labor to carry a cross that did not belong to him. And then finally, when Jesus was up on that cross, on Good Friday, we also see 
Those criminals hang next to him, join right in with all the mockery and the insults. So much evil on Good Friday that we read about, that we hear about. And these are just the things that you might have been able to see, that you might have been able to hear if you were there, if you were present on that day. And yet even that evil that we can read about there is just the tip of a much larger iceberg. You see, much greater was the evil that nobody could see and that nobody could hear. Let's not forget that our own evil was also present on that Good Friday. All of our sins that we commit against one another, all of our crimes against the holy God who made us, all of it was present at that cross. Judas was not the only betrayer present on Good Friday. So also were all of my betrayals against the people that God has put into my life and told me to take care of. Just as Peter denied Jesus, so also my denials were there. The times that I have denied my Savior with my words, or more likely than not, by my lack of words, as well as all of the ways that the actions of my life have been such a poor reflection of my Savior. The envy of those chief priests and leaders is a reflection of my own envy, my own jealousy, all of the the discontent that I have for the life that God has given me, all of my envy that I might have the life of somebody else. Those false witnesses that the priests brought before Jesus, they were but a mirror for the lies that come out of my own mouth for all of your twisted truths and half-truths that you use to your own advantage, for all of the fraudulent ways that we try to present ourselves before other people. And yes, while Pontius Pilate's cowardice on that day kind of takes the spotlight, my own cowardice was there too. All of those times of my life when I have not stood up for what I knew was right and good and decent because I was afraid of what consequences I might face as a result. The cruelty of those soldiers is seen in our own cruelties as well. All of the ways that we use and abuse our family, our friends, our coworkers, our neighbors. Those onlookers who gathered on Good Friday are an echo of my own mockery of God with my own life at times. The ways that I have refused to worship him as he has told me to worship, whether here among my fellow believers or simply with with all of my life that is meant to be in dedication to him. All the ways that I have put my own desires and my own feelings above what God tells me is true in scripture. All of it was right there. And this is to say nothing of all of the other evils that have been perpetuated in the evil history of this evil world, every act of violence and genocide, every word of racism or sexism or classism, every impulse toward unjust warfare or toward the oppression of of the strong over the weak, all of it was there on that day. For Jesus had called all of it 
to its reckoning at his cross. And so maybe you can see why that old member of mine, Tim, maybe you can see now that maybe he had a little bit of a point. So much evil, so much wickedness, so much cruelty inflicted on that day, a day that then culminates in the slaying of God himself. Why do we even call it Good Friday at all? It's because, despite all the darkness and all the sin, despite all of the injustice, despite all of the wickedness and evil, the final exclamation is not on those things. The final exclamation is instead upon the depths of God's goodness. It's a goodness that, yes, we can see in some of these verses tucked away in between all of the evil that we read about. It's a goodness that we can see in Jesus' constant obedience to his Father and his mindfulness to fulfill every last bit of his mission by fulfilling every last one of those prophecies down to asking for a drink when he was on the cross. It's a goodness that we can see in a dying son's care for his grieving mother who stood nearby. Mostly, though, it's a goodness that no human eye could see and no human ear could hear on that day. Because there at that cross, as Jesus called all evil and wickedness to its reckoning, it was because he was inviting it all upon himself. That God's justice for these things would be met Not in us, but in him. And so as those nails were plunged through his hands and feet, he plunged down into the darkest abyss of the hell that I deserved. As that crown of thorns pierced the flesh of his skull, his soul was pierced by my lifetime of transgressions. As his lungs were crushed and he began to suffocate under the weight of his own body, all of your iniquities were crushed there with his spirit. And as his blood ran red down that cross, the entire punishment for our sin was running its course against the only one who could or would bear that punishment for us that infinite Son of God in mortal human flesh. See that goodness of Jesus present at that cross as he invites every evil thing upon himself. My guilt, your sin, our hell, so that we will walk away with every good thing in our hands. We see that goodness in Jesus' unfathomable love and in the sacrifice that he bore in his body, but we also see goodness on Good Friday in what Good Friday now means for us today. You see, Good Friday means that 
where guilt and condemnation once reigned, we now have mercy and we have full forgiveness of every sin. Good Friday means that where we once had that looming certainty of death over our heads, we now look forward with joy and certain hope to everlasting life. Good Friday means that there is no longer hostility between sinful people and their holy God, but rather that peace is now what rules between us. Even more than that, where there was once alienation between you and your father, that we are now able to call ourselves his very own children and know that as his children, we can come to our God with every care, every concern, with every sin in prayer and confession. Every one of these good things is ours because on Good Friday, Jesus took every evil thing upon himself. But there's one more reason why Good Friday is so good. And it's that John 19 verse 30 isn't the end of the matter. You see, if this story ended there with Jesus dead on the cross, it would indeed be a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad Friday indeed. But this is a story that continues on Sunday morning. When these parapets of funeral, paraments of funeral black will be replaced by wedding white. When the somber music of Good Friday will be swallowed up in the jubilant and joyful tones of that morning. Ultimately, what makes Good Friday so good is that it is not a story which ends in death. It is one that ends in life. Amen. Amen.